Zach, I uh, I come to you today with a confession. Okay. A confession of love. No way. To For our me? audience. Oh. To our audience. You know, I have to agree with you. I love them too. They have been incredible. They really have. You guys have been supporting us through Apple Podcasts with leaving reviews, mm-hmm. but we, in in social media, some of you have been mm. reaching out. We've gotten a couple emails, and mm. we want you to know we love and cherish every single one of those. It's so encouraging. We read them and we're encouraged, and we're it's like it's crazy to know that something we create is actually listened to. Because it's so easy to sit on the listener side and think it's so easy to just put out a podcast or just right. put something on the internet. But I'm not. I'm not trying to like make a sad story. No. It's like in reality, there's so much anxiety. It's like there's so much performance. Like yeah. you got to put it out. And not that we're asking for affirmation. We just want to hear from you. And ultimately, we trust the Lord. We, totally. We're not we're not afraid of putting something out and not, not liking it. We believe this is the content that the Lord's called us to create. And so we're going to do that confidently. Of course. So that's not what you're saying is yeah. that you're feeling anxious about that. No. But we just want you guys to know that we would love to connect with you more. Oh, my gosh. So we are literally wanting to take this time out of the intro to equip you guys with the ways to connect with us. That's most effective. Yeah. And so the way is social media. That's the best way. Some of you know about it. Some would say the only way. So we do have an assistant, Monica. Hey, Monica. She's working. Oh yeah. But so busy. (laughs) Shout out Monica. Shout out Monica. But we actually read every single comment, every single tweet, every single post, yeah. anything that you guys do that tags us. We are the people that read it. Yeah. So you're literally in direct content with in direct contact with a lot of this. Like, a lot of it filters through Monica and then we gets like to our desk. <laughs> yeah. We read it. We do. We do read it. And so we wanted to come with our social media handles and things yeah. like that so that you would be able to connect with us effectively. So Zach, do you want to start with LinkedIn? Yeah. LinkedIn is kind of one of my, my places. I, I love LinkedIn. I've yeah. gotten to connect a lot of our interviewees yeah. are connections on LinkedIn. And it's so cool. I think if you're listening to this and you are a young leader, young professional, and you don't have a LinkedIn, I think you should go just download it, start your profile. You can connect with so many people, get jobs and just build a a base of connection. Another thought I just had, if you want to start this base of connection, not through LinkedIn, but reach out to the people we've had on the podcast. Yeah. Look them up on the internet, look them up on LinkedIn, find their email and shoot them an email saying, thanks for what you said. Hey, this stuck out to me. I took this away from what you said from the next generation leader podcast. It would mean a lot to them. And yeah. you have built a connection with somebody that's really right. cool. And yeah. you have a lot to learn from. And they would you, love to hear from you. They would love it. And these people are so down to earth. That's a huge thing. You should do that. So go to LinkedIn, Next Generation Leader Podcast. Go like our page, like our posts. And then uh, my other side, Facebook. Yep. Uh, kind of the same thing. Just a Facebook page with Facebook ads. And it's so fun. We love it. Yeah. Twitter. Twitter. Yeah. So recently we started a Twitter in the month of April, late, late April. And at the time of this recording, we have five followers. Come on. And we've we've been working to, to get those followers. Yeah. But we know that there are more of you that have Twitter. And so I think that it's this, the problem is that none of you know about our Twitter. And so if you would take the time to go and look us up, obviously we have a few followers right now. So right. it's gonna you're going to have to type it in exactly right for yeah. us to come up. But our handle is NXT Gen Leader Pod. So not N-E-X-T, but Next Gen Leader Pod yeah. with no E. So with that, we're going to have some awesome content coming out. We're going to let you know when we're in the studio, when we're recording. We have a quote of the day that comes out from a different leader in history, not from us. Maybe one day. Maybe one day. We will be featured in someone's tweet. Maybe one day we'll be a great leader of history. Maybe. Who knows? But 
we, we're going to have some awesome content coming to you at Twitter and then also Instagram. Yeah. Instagram is something that we're working at. Zach and I are not necessarily the most aesthetic. No people. And if you look at our Instagram, you might be able to tell. But that's OK. Well, we got a cool little checkered pattern. Yeah, going. we do. We got a little blue picture, blue picture it's action like going. It's our thing. And so we want you to connect with us there. And so that's going to be the exact same handle. NXT Gen Leader Pod. Next Gen Leader Pod. And so... Those two are going to be the exact same Twitter and Instagram. And if you direct message us, if you follow us, if you anything, we are so excited to connect with you guys and hear your thoughts. Of course, we've had an email that comes to mind from someone who commented on the value of the moments. Yeah, the moments episode with with, with Jake Jake Talbert. He gave us a story about how he chose um, to spend time with, I think it was his adopted his sister, adopted who sister. he had usually been kind of not super pumped to spend time with because she was a lot younger, but, yeah. but he took the podcast and put it into action and said it was one of his favorite days. They went skating. I think it was rollerblading. Yeah, skating. And so I, I remember that and it was just so cool to hear him talk about. And that. so we love hearing your stories as yeah, listeners. We really do. We, and another way you can do that is just putting a, a review on Apple podcast, yep. just giving a five star review, leaving, uh, leaving a review, writing some, some, something out. And that really helps us in the charts to get us exposure to people and get us up on like the browse platform, if you will, on yeah. Apple podcast. And it's we, so helpful. we need you. We need, we you. can't do it without you guys. We need you. the Philippines is doing great. Yeah. Thank you, Philippines, once again. But America, we need your Let's help. Let's rally. Let's rally and gather and trudge because we, onward. We, we want to rally you. And we, we're asking for this because we believe what we're putting out is worth it. We do. And we believe like this is not about fame. It's not about us. recognition, but because we don't are not actually the ones sharing any wisdom. That's exactly right, Cooper. So it's easy to promote this because we're not talking about ourselves being awesome. Exactly. It's just the people that we have had have so much wisdom to share that we want as many people to listen as possible. So don't waste time. Go connect with us. Connect with the leaders that we've had on this podcast because they're high level leaders that want to connect with you and have a lot of things to share with you. So absolutely find us on all of our platforms. Give us a follow. Give us a shout. Thank you so much. Welcome to the Next Generation Leader Podcast, where we believe great leaders are listeners, especially during their youth. Good leaders learn from their successes and mistakes, but great leaders learn from the successes and mistakes of those who go before them. I'm your host, Zach Funderburg, here with my co-host, the Instagram famous Cooper McCullough. What's up, Zach? We actually just got a Twitter follower. Did we actually? No, but, but we will soon. We will. We will soon. All of you. Anyway, Cooper, today on the podcast, it could be my favorite. I mean, I'm not shocked to hear you say that. We have none other than the Dr. Dave Arnott. Now, if you've been listening for a while, you know this name. He's from episode two, The Leadership Quotient. It's a great conversation. You got to go check it out. But today we're talking about something a little bit different than the norm, a little bit different than he talked about on the episode the first time. I was in his economics class here at DBU, and I loved it. I learned so much. So when I was looking at the times, I was looking at what's going on in our world. How can I help our listeners and help myself understand what's going on? I was like, let's go talk to Dr. Arnott and and ask him about the economy and what's going on. Because I I truly believe that my generation received $1,200 from the government. They don't know where it came from, what it's for, what the long-term effects are, and and what's going on in the time. But there's going to come a time when each one of you listening to this is 
figuratively tapped on the shoulder and given the opportunity to do something great. And I want you to be ready for it. And only way you're going to be ready for it is if you prepare right now. You understand what's going on. We are living in the middle of history. This is amazing time to live in. It's scary. It's difficult. There's crazy thing happening. But it's it's so important to understand what's going on so you can lead and be ready when, when other viruses come, when other storms come to the business that you're working for. We talk about everything in this episode from interest rates to what is the Fed? What do we do with $1,200? Do the shutdowns work? What, what is it doing with the economy? It's so important to understand this, to learn from this. So when you're put in that position one day, you know how to lead through a crisis. You understand the times you're going through because a calm leader can lead through the storm and confidence breeds confidence. And we want to be confident leaders, especially through trials. I think this is so important. I do not want you to miss out. We have so much to learn from what's going on right now. And this is just a simple tool to understand the times. So without any further ado, here he is, Dr. Dave Arnott. Well, Dr. Arnott, it's good to have you back. You're the first repeat offender on the uh, on the Next Generation Leader podcast, if you will. And so good. We have to have you back twice. If you go back, I want to say it's first or, or second or third episode, the leadership quotient. We want to talk about the economy. We're, we're living in an uncertain time. A lot of the people around you just received $1,200. They don't know why. They don't know what where it came from, most importantly, and what to do with it. So we thought we'd bring in the expert, Dr. Arnott. Uh, so first of all, Thank you for being on. I'm so excited to have you. Oh, it's a joy to be with you, Zach. Um, a repeat offender. I'll concentrate on the repeat and not the offender part. But <laughs> with economists, you never know. So yeah. thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you. Well, of course. And, and since we talked, even, I want to give you the chance just to talk about the, uh, the Christian Economist, your podcast that you started, if you uh, want to say a few words on that. Yeah, it seems like there's a dearth of information that integrates Christianity and economics, and that's what I try to do at uh, my website, DaveArnott.com, where they're, I mostly communicate by podcast, much the same way you do, Zach. Right. Well, well, I love it. But okay, Let, let's really jump right into what, what's going on. I, we're living in a confusing time. We're living in, and who knows what's going on. The economy's crazy. We're, we're in a recession, most likely. Uh, so. Just kind of want to ask you, what is the economy doing right now? And how should we as next generation leaders or as young people look at it? Yeah, we are in uncertain times. There's two things, two ways in which this has happened before. Uh, first, there have been plagues. Right. There have been plagues throughout human history. Some data says that the flu from 1959 and the flu from 1969 were even worse than this one. But that's not my subject today. It's only to make the point that uh, for next generation leaders, they should understand we've had plagues before, we've had uh, panics before, we've had pandemics before. So that's not new. And then the economic side, we've had recessions before. You are right, we probably are in a recession. Recession is defined as two quarters of decreasing GDP, and the first quarter is down 4.8. They think that the second quarter might be down 11, mm. which for those of us who understand economic numbers, 11 just astounds you. I mean, this just this is, I was in the last time I was in the classroom about eight weeks ago, I was complaining that Japan's economy was down 6.6% in a quarter and just hesitated because it was such, you know, important information. Here we are, America, largest economy in the world. We produce 23% of the world's GDP. We're down 4.8 in the first quarter and we'll be down maybe 11 in the, in the third quarter. So you are right. We're in a recession, but we've been in one before. Right. So 
I want you to understand next generation, generation leaders to understand. Number one, we've had uh, plagues before. Second, we've had recessions before. This is the 11th since World War II, which we often call the modern era of economics. Mm. So we know something about how to get through pandemics, something about how to get through uh, economic recessions. We've been here before. Right. So, I mean, that's even a positive way of looking at it. But I want to start out really the sickness, the healthcare side and the economic side are, are separate. They, they affect each other, but it's not like the virus is affecting the money. It's really the shutdowns. When everything shut down, everything, uh, everyone was told to stay at home, we start shutting everything down. So what happened right then? Kind of who is the Fed and what did they do as soon as everything started shutting down? Yeah, I want to give it to you in form of an elevator speech. So to exemplify what one is, I'll ask you for <laughs> the elevator speech for next generation leadership, meaning we're on the fifth floor and somebody just got on who's really important and, and uh, influential, and you want to convince them that your program is really important. All right, we've, we've left the fifth floor and we're on the way to one. You've got about 15 seconds, Zach. Oh. Okay. Well, I want to learn from the, the, the generation before us. I don't have all the answers. I know I don't have all the answers, but a time is coming where I'm going to be figuratively tapped on the shoulder and given a chance to do something great. I want to be prepared for that time. The only way to be prepared is to learn from those people, to sit at their feet, and, and to learn from their successes and mistakes in order to apply it to what I hopefully can do in the future. So that's what I'm doing, putting the mic in between me and great leaders. There you go. We're at the first floor. So now we, the elevator door is open and closed and somebody got on and asked me, turned to me just as you did, Zach, and said, what's going on with the economy? Well, I've only got 20 seconds before we get off the elevator. So the answer is fiscal expansion should cause uh, increase in taxes. Monetary expansion should cause inflation. We're at the fifth floor. Done. That's the elevator speech. Economics can be affected by two different entities in society. One is the federal government who's in charge of fiscal policy. They can tax and they can spend. The Federal Reserve Bank is in charge of monetary policy. They can change the money supply. They can change the interest rate. So of these four things I just explained from two different entities, three of them you've been noticing a lot lately, and that's what you've asked about, Zach, which is a great question. Fiscal expansion, which means the stimulus. Why did they give you and your friends $1,200? Because they're trying to stimulate the economy. Mm. And this is what stimulus, that's the whole idea. Now, the big problem with stimulus is lag, right? In my textbook written by ManQ, they've got this little cartoon, and the guy's kind of recreating Paul Revere. He's writing toward the people in the cartoon, and he says, the recession is coming, the recession coming. In the next block, it says, growth is coming, growth is coming. The next block says, recession is coming, recession is coming. And this changes rather quickly. So this is the problem with, problem with stimulus. Can you get the money in the right place at the right time? Mm. That's very hard to do. I just saw yesterday that of the $500 billion that was approved by the CARES Act, $37 billion has been spent. And it's been, what, six weeks now? Right. So that means... Uh, what, over 90% of the money will be spent at least eight weeks after the money was allocated. Well, we could be in growth by then. That's the problem with stimulus. It's a lag. How can you get it out there quickly enough? And how can you time it exactly right? As a matter of fact, one of my uh, podcasts just the other day was 
about the that issue, and it was called Crisis Economics, number 30 podcast on mine, Crisis Economics, and asked the question, can you get the money in the right place at the right time? That's really hard to do. Right. Yeah, and I think that's what's hurting a lot of people here, and too, because I, like you said, we got twelve hundred dollars. What what do we do with it? You know, there's nowhere really to go and spend it, except I guess online. But what are we supposed to do with that? What is a stimulus, and what's the point of it, and and how do we accept that? Yeah, well, the founder of Methodism was named uh, John Wesley. He and his brother Charles Wesley. His famous quote is, "Earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can." So I don't know if people would say they've earned that, but save some and give some. I mean, those are good ideas. But what the federal government had in mind when they gave you that money was that you would go out and spend it and you would stimulate the economy. And that's why it's called a stimulus. Does it work? Um, People keep doing it, Zach, even though there's pretty good evidence that it doesn't work. Right. But we're in a crisis situation. um, And it's hard to make decisions in a crisis. I mean, sometime down the road, we will look back at this. I think we'll look back and say we listened too much to government and too much to experts. But when you're in the middle of a crisis, this is where leadership comes in. And that's why you know, your program's important. And you're asking really good questions. When the pandemic, if it returns this fall, or if we have another one, we will have learned and we will be better at it. But in the middle of a crisis, it's hard to know what the right decision is. Mm. Um, it seemed like the right decision was for the federal government to put on a stimulus, in other words, increased spending. It seemed like it was the right thing for the Federal Reserve Bank to increase the money supply and lower the interest rates. Um, time will tell. At the end, we'll know better. Right. But in the middle of a crisis, this is where leadership really gets tested. Because even though we've said we've had pandemics before and we've had recessions before, the economy's never been stopped by the government before. That's why this one's new and why it's different. And so what we learn from this, we'll be much better at it next time. The next generation leaders will be better than the leaders in my generation, Zach. That's what we're after. <laughs> right. And so yeah, even for our leaders now, and whenever you're in the middle of a pandemic or the middle of a crisis, there's this kind of fog over leadership. And, and it's hard to tell, but hindsight obviously is twenty twenty. So looking back, if you were to give advice for the next generation of leaders who, who lead through the next pandemic, what would you say or how would you advise them to handle a crisis of this magnitude? Well, again, we will learn as humans always do, and we will do better at it next time. Probably it will be more targeted toward those who are at highest risk. And I'm not a medical doctor, but that's probably the elderly. Uh, so it'll be targeted at, at, at demographic groups, and it'll be geographically targeted. A high percentage of the deaths this time came from New York City. Well, certainly they should stop. Other states and regions perhaps should not. And we are seeing this as we come out of this, a balance of that kind of control. We started with federal government control saying the entire nation must shut down. Now, as each of the 50 states are making their decisions about how to reopen, you'll see a better governance of it because we always know that local governance is better than than national governance. So we will learn. And I think the two things we will learn is demographic targeting and geographic targeting next time. Mm. Yeah, I think that's great. Uh, let's talk about the debt because the $6 trillion uh, of stimulus packaging, it's got to come from somewhere. And I think where it's coming from is the, the pockets of the next generation. So, so what, what do you, how do you feel about the debt or where we're going or we keep spending this money? 
Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, my podcast number eight was on national debt. And now this was before the pandemic came along. And I was complaining that during the Obama administration, we had deficits of about a trillion dollars. And then we got into the uh, Trump administration. Even before the pandemic, it was going to be 1.1 trillion. Right. Now estimates are it'll be certainly greater than that. Um, to give you some context of these uh, amounts of money, million, billion, trillion, you know, it doesn't make sense until you give it context. So we need to do that. So for the last about eight years or so, the government has taken in three trillion and spent four trillion. Now that's producing a deficit each year, annual deficit of one trillion. And you're right, your generation has to pay for that. But I need to give you some context for that because you just said the term six trillion. Okay, that is what the government would normally take in in two years. This is the total government income through all its taxes and all its fees and all its ways of gaining income. If you're using the term six trillion, and I got that no, a number like that from the Washington Post the other day, I think they said the Fed who had committed to four trillion and the U.S. government two point five trillion. So, so we're somewhere around that six trillion mark, and maybe with another three trillion to come. Put this in context: the government for the last recent history has collected three trillion each year and spent four trillion. Now we're talking about spending six trillion in one year. And you're asking the good question, where does this come from? Because one of our comments in economics is there's no free lunch. The money has to come from somewhere and has to be paid back. Right. However, particularly next generation leaders, you guys have gone through this stage in which the economy has grown for about 11 years in a row. So let's think about this. Someone who's 30 years old, since they were 19, the economy's gone up every year. Someone who's 40 years old, it's gone up every year since they were 29 years old. I mean, this is half of their adult lifetime. And for anybody who's 30, again, their entire career, the economy has increased every year. Now, for old fogies like me, this is our 11th recession since World War II, and we know we're going to have them. So how do we respond to them? I think the biggest threat for your generation, Zach, is what happens not in 2020, but what happens in 2022, 23, 24, and 25? Because we will have crises like this. They won't be exact this one. But will people look back and say, well, you know, the government, along with the Fed, spent $6 trillion in 2020. We should do it again. Right. Well, we should not do it again. But that's the danger. See, this is how humans work, Zach. When, when something works, they do more of it. Hmm. When something doesn't work, they do less of it. I mean, come on, this is just simple human behavior, right? Right. That's why one of the first books in economics was called Human Action by Ludwig von Mises. Human Action. How do humans behave? And we know that they do what works and they don't do what don't work, what, what does not work. My concern then is that we will get by this when they'll say, well, let's do it again. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. We're in kind of a weird time in which we have been running these trillion dollar deficits and we haven't felt the pain yet. Right. We are somewhat like that Wiley Coyote cartoon in the Roadrunner who runs off the edge of a cliff and doesn't realize that he's hanging in thin air. Yeah. And that's where we've been running these trillion dollar deficits. It hasn't hurt yet. We, we, we don't know. We haven't felt the pain. And so my concern for next generation leaders is 
spending $6 trillion every time a crisis comes along will become common behavior. And that's really a dangerous place to go. Mm, yeah, that's great. I, we can't do that. We can't keep running these deficits because just like you said, at some point they have to be repaid and it's coming from the pockets of the next generation. And something that I remember from yeah, your if class- we go back to those two, two forms of, of affecting the economy. Sorry if I interrupted you, Zach. No, you're great. It was um, fiscal policies from the government. So this spending certainly will cause an increase in taxes. I mean, anybody who predicts the opposite just doesn't know math and doesn't know economics. Right. So we will have an increase in taxes in the future to pay for this. Then the part by the Federal Reserve Bank in increasing the money supply. Well, it's also simple economics that every extra dollar you print makes each existing one worth less. That's called inflation. Right. So we should have inflation. But you notice on both of these policies, I've qualified them with the word should because we don't know exactly what's going to happen. I was invited by a group the other day to they had an investment they were going to make and the pandemic came along. They invited me over to give some comments. And I started with a quote from Vincent Smith, who won the Nobel Prize for Economics in 2001. You know what his answer was? I don't know. Right. <laughs> a Nobel Prize winner in economics doesn't know. And I don't know either. But it should cause increase in taxes. It should cause inflation. Yeah. So kind of talk, let's talk about inflation. What is inflation? And then what on the even further, what is stagflation? How does that work? Yeah, inflation is when the the Fed prints more dollars and each one becomes worth less. This is true not only of dollars, it's true of podcasts like yours and mine. Right. It's true of the textbook we use. It's true of that computer you're staring at right now. The more of them that get made, the less each one is worth. I mean, it's just simple economics and it applies to dollars. And so each time the Fed increases the money supply, which they've done significantly, it should make each one worth less. Here's two reasons it may not. And we get to watch this and see. The first is demand is required. Um, One of my podcasts was called, looking at my titles, nothing was destroyed. Mm. And I made the point that In this pandemic, nothing was destroyed. See, usually in recessions, people leave their job, they go off to other things. And so when you're building it back up, you have to recreate many things. Talk about construction, which most people understand. During most recessions, construction workers go off to do something else. They work at a farm or they work at a restaurant, they do something else. Then when construction starts to pick back up, you have to go get the license from the city. You have to do the architectural plans. You have to get the financing. Then you hire the people. See, all these things have to take place. That is not true in this one. Nothing was destroyed. So this group I was visiting with the other day, understand construction. I said, look, these construction workers have their tool belt hanging on the hook by the back door. All you got to do is call them. And the economy could come back very quickly. Will it? I don't know. We talked there for a few weeks about a V-shaped recovery, meaning we come back quickly. Um, Richmond Federal Reserve Bank president said the other day, now he thinks it may look more like a swoosh. So if you've got the Nike swoosh in mind, it goes down on the left and it makes a slow, gentle recovery. Some are saying now through 2021, perhaps. But that's a, the interesting thing about economics. Nobody knows. And this is when leadership's required, Zach, mm. because in certain times, anybody can make a decision. It's in uncertain times that leaders really get called upon to step forward and and say, this is where we're going. 
And this is how we're going to get there. But I'm sorry, I'm not sure I answered your question. Do you want to ask it again or did that raise another one? No, I think that was great. And I think making decisions, but is it the right decision to, to print more money and in, in maybe even causing inflation because we have a, such a tremendous debt? Yeah, it could be. It could be a wrong decision, but again, we're in the middle of it. And matter of fact, I closed one of my podcasts the other day with that great quote from Franklin Roosevelt, or I'm sorry, Theodore Roosevelt. I'll just give you a couple lines of it. Yeah. Theodore Roosevelt, quote, it is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood who strives valiantly, and he goes on and on. That's about half of it. So for me to say what we've done is wrong, I'm who Theodore Roosevelt calls a critic who who doesn't count. It's the leader who counts, the guy who's in the circle, whose face is marred with sweat and blood and tears, and who's really taking all the hits because that's what leadership is. Mm. See, in certain times, anybody can do it, but in uncertainty, that's where leaders really count. Mm, yeah, that's good. And, and even it counts on us to support those leaders, to, to help, to, to not protest, not to, to go against what they're saying, but to, to uh, hold to our civil liberty and, and to help. Let's talk also about interest rates, the, the, the other side of the Fed. They can print money and they can also change the interest rates. What, what do interest rates, how do they affect the economy, good or bad? Because I think whenever, right when all the shutdowns happen and the economy starts to, to take a downward spiral, did they increase or did they decrease the interest rates? Yeah, they decrease. We were almost at zero uh, about the time the, the pandemic broke out. We had been at zero during the eight years of the Obama administration. Then we got up to about two and a half in the first two and a half years of the Trump administration. And we were headed down to near zero when this broke out, and that's where we are now. Um, my wife's really smart, but she's never had an economics class, but boy, she's smart. <laughs> and so when we talk about you know, what's going to happen to the U.S. dollar, I mean, if you print more, each one should be worth less, right? right? Didn't I just say that? Isn't that what economists say? But my wife's point is, hey, people have to put their money somewhere. Right. Where are they going to put it? And she goes down the list. The number one economy in the world is the U.S. Number two is China. She said, I wouldn't put money in China. It's not reliable. I'm not sure where they're going. Number three is Japan. Japan had negative interest rates going into the pandemic. Right. That's the third largest economy in the world. The fourth largest economy in the world is Germany. They had negative rates. As a matter of fact, just as we started our semester this spring, they cut their rate from negative 0.4 to negative 0.6. I mean, we're living in really interesting times even before the pandemic. The last edition of my economics book said you can't have negative interest rates. Right. Well, since the Bank of Japan and the European Central Bank had them, they had to change the book to say, you can only have negative interest rates for short time periods. Mm. And a negative interest rate means they're actually paying people to take money. What that indicates is these two economies, Japan and Germany, had got themselves into such bad positions that they had to pay people to take money. This is just unheard of in mankind. I mean, it's just right. never happened before. So sorry, I'm taking a long time to get to this point, but my no. wife, Ginger, makes this point. Where else are you going to put your money? Yeah, yeah, the U.S. is printing too much, but you don't want to put it in uh, yuans in China. You don't want to put it in yens in Japan. You don't want to put it in euros in Germany. You have no place else to go with your money. Right. 
And that's why the U.S. dollar has held stable, even though we've increased the number of the dollars, which should drive down the value. There's no place else to go. And she's right about that. So we have in the U.S. mostly policies that promote production. Mm. I mean, students listening to this know what that means. When you that's read the what syllabus, I wanted to get to. I love that. Yeah. If you come to class and do the work, you'll earn a grade. Right. If you don't come to class and don't do the work, you won't get a grade. It, it's simple reward and punishment, right? Right. So if we have an economy that rewards people for producing, I use the phrase policies that promote production, and that's the subject of one of my podcasts, policies that promote production. We will come out of this quickly and we will do fine. But if through this, some people learn, look, we can we can continue like this without policies that promote production. That will be really dangerous. And that's where future leaders will have a really tough struggle on their hand. The reason the U.S. economy is so good is because we have policies that promote production. One little example of one now that's the opposite, and you may have noticed this, as this CARES bill was going through the Congress and the Senate, there were four senators who pointed out, well, look, if these people draw regular unemployment plus this, they will make more for staying home than going to work. Right. Well, their prediction came exactly true. And there have been a lot of articles the last few weeks showing that people are making more money by staying home instead of going to work. This is the exact opposite of what you want in an economy, in a classroom, in a production situation, in any working situation. You want people to be rewarded for producing. These people are being rewarded for not producing. Hopefully, that was a mistake and people are realizing it. It's a short-term thing. It will go away and we will go back to the policies that promote production. But we don't know, Zach. Our leaders are in charge of that. Right. I actually listened to your episode, Policies That Promote Production, because I remember that phrase being repeated and repeated and repeated <laughs> in class. And, and so as a, a young person, as a citizen, what can we do to help promote production? Because I, I noticed that too. There's so many people who have who are receiving the money from the CARES Act, but then they're also getting unemployment each week and they're making more than they would when they work. But, but really, that's not promoting the economy. That's not pushing us forward to, to push us through this economic downturn of this pandemic. So as a young person, as a, as a good U.S. citizen, what is our duty during this time? What, what should we be doing? Yeah, I think duty is a good question. I mean, it's more of a, a duty to yourself and to your family, to your community, to your nation, to, to work. Uh, Sergei Sadamatov is a fellow professor of mine, and we have a book coming out later this year called Christian Economic Policy. I'm sorry, Biblical Economic Policy. Right. I should know the name of my book, shouldn't I, Zach? <laughs> and we have found what we think are 10, what we call economic commandments from the Bible, and one of them said, work is good. Mm. Well, that's one we called on a lot when we wrote this book that'll be out in a few months. And well, a few months, Christmas takes forever to get a book out. Zach. Anyway, we, we continue to call on that phrase, work is good. And so we have to believe that work is good. You asked me, what about your generation? I, I've really encouraged by the students I've encountered in the last, well, let's say five to six, six years. I think they have a really good work ethic. I'm very impressed with them. I think the world is going to be fine. What we're experiencing now is their governors, meaning the U.S. government has said, you can get paid more for not working than working. That, that's a very dangerous situation. We've got to get ourselves out of that as soon as we can. 
Yeah, I think we see that a lot. And even the the staying on, what are your thoughts on the shutdowns on, on being shut down for so long? And because it's, I think the wrong question is to ask how much does a life cost? I think it's super disingenuous. And I think that's the wrong question to ask, but it's what a lot of people are asking. But what are your thoughts on the shutdowns? And because is it really helping the medical uh, expansion of the virus? Because I think studies would say maybe not but it's really hurting the economy. So what are your thoughts on, on shutting down whole cities? Yeah, first I'm fascinated that this word economics has been used so much. Have you noticed that? I would not have predicted that people in the middle of this thing would say, we have to get the economy going. I thought they'd use some other term, but I mean, as an economist, I like that they're using that because what it means is creating value for your, for your, for your neighbors. I mean, from the biblical stance, it's loving your neighbor. When you love your neighbor, you give them products and services they demand. And that's what we do via our work. And so it's fascinating to me that we've uh, put this on the horns of a dilemma between um, the medical and economic. I never would have predicted that they would call it the economy. But that's fine with me, and I think that's good. So what all recessions do, one of my podcasts is called Recessions Are Good. Oh, yeah? Really? <laughs> yeah. That's a little counterintuitive. Here's, here's how recessions are good, Zach. They force us to concentrate on what's critical and what's important. I don't care if it's a university. I don't care if it's Ford or General Motors or the U.S. government or Dallas County. In times of, of reduced resources, it forces us to say, what should we be doing and what should we not be doing? And individuals have the same question. What should you be doing? What creates the greatest value? And so now I'll take a little bit of a sidestep into my other class I teach, which is strategic management. The to that topic is defined by aligning an organization with its environment. Well, you'll notice a lot of realignment going on now. I don't know about you guys, but Amazon calls at our door at least once a day, sometimes twice. Right. And so we are still getting the same goods and services. We're just getting them delivered in a different way. I mean, economies have gone through this forever. And so JCPenney looks like they're going to declare bankruptcy and Amazon is doing well. Okay, well, I could have told you a story like that in any classroom for the last 27 years I've been teaching. And so organizations are always aligning themselves with their environment. And this one, we will, as long as we have policies that promote production, that reward people for making things. Yeah. Mm, I love that. And I, I think that is the, the main point. You have to have policies that promote production because that is what pushes us yeah. to our goal in, in getting through this, this crisis or pandemic. I, I want to ask you a question, not even moving away from the economy side of just leadership in a crisis. What would you tell a leader who is spectating this pandemic and watching leaders now? What, what can we learn from something that either the president or our leaders are doing well? And what can we learn from something that they've done poorly that we can apply whenever this happens again in the next six, 10 years? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. Times are always uncertain. Mm -hmm. this, this time it's just op obvious. Uh, another group I was visiting with recently had an investment and they were trying to decide what to do. And I said, okay, you're in an uncertain time, but do you realize you're always in an uncertain time? It's just that this time you know it. Right. So decisions you made in February, you thought things were fine. They weren't. You were in an uncertain time. You just didn't know it. 
And the point I made to them is, okay, so maybe you put off the investment for three months. Then you're going to be on, on the doorstep of a presidential election. Mm. That's uncertain also. Right. If Trump gets reelected, the economy will probably continue to do well. If Biden does, probably not as well. But you notice I said probably on both of those. Right. But we always have uncertainty. This time it's just obvious. So I think young leaders should look at this and see it as a practice for making decisions in uncertain times. And don't assume that we're ever in certain times. I mean, one of the things about the economy, and my students have been astounded when I say, nobody knows where the economy is. And was, this is March, yeah, about March 4th, a student asked me, when do you think we'll have the next recession? And I said, it may have started last Friday. <laughs> and actually, it probably did. I mean, we yeah. didn't know. So we don't know whether the economy is going to come back, how quickly it's going to come back. Yes, there are estimates. So back to your question, what should leaders learn from this? They should learn how to make decisions because you're always making decisions in uncertain times. It's just sometimes you know they're uncertain. Other times you don't know they're uncertain. But we make decisions with the information we have now, not with the information we have in the future. Hmm. So there should be very few regrets about any decision, because as long as you made it with the information you have at that time, that's all you have. Nobody knows the future and nobody knows which way to go. But as leaders who step up and say, we are going to go this direction. So they should use this as an example for leading in uncertain times, but realizing they're always on, they're always uncertain times. Right. I love that. And I think decision-making needs to be made with facts and the facts that you know, and that can push you forward to policies that ultimately promote production. That's and you make projections. Way. I mean, that's what we talk about in strategy. We try to predict the future. Right. And so you put together scenarios. So if the economy is down 11% next quarter, if it's down 8% next quarter, what are we going to do? All institutions, all organizations should be, have scenario plans I'm saying institutions and organizations, but also individuals and families. So if this happens, then what do we do? If this happens, then what do we do? In strategic management, we call that scenario planning because nobody knows the future. Mm. But it's those who prepare best who do best in the future. But this has always been the case. Right. I mean, the economy has always changed. The world has always changed. Those who prepare themselves do better than those who don't. This is just simple. I mean, you can talk about this in your, your university classes. Those who read the book and talk to their friends and study, they are prepared for the test. Right. Some are not prepared and they do badly. That happens not only in a university classroom, it happens all over the world and in every situation. So we need to prepare and make contingency plans for what we will do in certain situations. Right. And I mean, the, the old the quote from the book, The Art of War, even the, the battle's won before it's fought. And, and the way you prepare is how you'll, how you'll perform. I, I think that's so good. Uh, well, Dr. Arnott, thank you yeah, so much. Yeah, Sun Tzu and the Art of time. War. Now, I'm, that's the American pronunciation, Sun Tzu. Sun Tzu I've had yeah. many Chinese students try to teach me to say Sun Tzu, and I can't <laughs> do it. So I just call him Sun Tzu. But well, that's why I, I avoided even saying it. I just call it The Art of War. <laughs> okay. But well, Dr. Arnott, thank you so much for, for your time and, and wisdom and, and knowledge on the economy and what we're living in right now. It's always a pleasure to visit with you, Zach. And it's, a, it's an honor to be the uh, first return guest on your podcast. I guess that's a better way of putting it, return guest. <laughs> okay. Okay.